Amen. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, verses 5 to 9 this morning, and we're going to be looking at the idea of being a blessed man or a blessed woman. Last week in verses 1 to 5, Paul's argument was that our life with the Lord, the wonderful things we see God do in us and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit, we learned these things are not a result of our works. Remember, we had a question last week and a conclusion, and the question was, is the Holy Spirit a prize or is he a promise? And the answer was that he is indeed a promise. The Holy Spirit is not something earned, he is something received. And how do we receive him? How do we see the miracles of God in our life and through our lives and around us? It is by hearing with faith. And what we're going to see this morning is that to be a man of faith, a person of faith, a person who experiences the things of God, is to be a person who has faith in God. A person who believes God, and not just a belief in God, like not a mental affirmation or acknowledgement of the Lord, not some logical conclusion that there must be a God, but actual belief, because that mere acknowledgement will never be enough. Do you know what James says in this epistle? You believe in God? So do demons. Demons acknowledge the Lord, right? Um, it doesn't mean they, they believe in him. It doesn't mean that they love him or trust him. It doesn't mean that they follow him or give themselves over to him. Demons believe God exists, but they rebel against him. Our God does not want us to have a belief that he is there, but he wants us to believe him. And today in our scriptures, we see the example of a man of faith who believed God. Abraham, the man of faith. That's what Paul calls him in our text this morning in verse 9. He says he was the man of faith. He says two things. He was a man of faith and that he was blessed. And that is the conclusion that Paul wants us to get to this morning. That we would go from people who are, who are ultimately cursed under the law... People whose you know, trajectory of life is to live a life separate from God, away from the Lord for all eternity, into the state of a person who can only be described as a person who is blessed, blessed like Abraham. Our walk with the Lord from the very beginning until the end and everything in between, it must be built on faith and we cannot go beyond it. If we want to see the wonderful promises of God in our life, and God wants you to experience his promises. We must trust him. Again, there is a difference between believing in something, acknowledging even that someone can do something, and trusting that thing for yourself. You know, I can, I can acknowledge my car could get me from A to B, but if I never get in the car, I never experience it. I want to share a story with you. Um, it's a fictional story. And I didn't make it up, just so you know, so if it doesn't land, don't blame me. But it helped me get the idea. It's inspired from these, these men and women, crazy people, in my opinion, who, who like to tightrope. Maybe Vidya has an image there. You know the people who like tightrope across like Niagara Falls, like these maniacs, <laughs> these daredevils who push the adrenaline uh, to the test. This is Nick, um, Nick Wallanda, and he, he went across the, uh, the Niagara Falls in this high, high tightrope with all these crowds of people watching him, watching him do this. Absolutely terrifying. And so the story is inspired by people like him. And imagine, if you will, you have this man standing at the edge of Niagara Falls. The crowd were all around him, and they were waiting for him to, you know, to, walk, to walk across the tightrope. And he's like, guys, do you believe I can do it? 
And the crowd's like, yeah, we believe. Go on, do it. And so, you know, he walks across the tightrope like a crazy person, and he, and he makes it. And the crowd is going wild. He's like, do you want to see me do it again? Can you believe I can do it again? And he's like, yeah. So he walks all the back across. And imagine if someone walks across and back, there's going to be a lot of, you know, the crowd's going to be going. And so he's like, do you want to see me do it blindfolded? And they're like, yes, we do. And so he does it. He walks across blindfolded. I'm not going to go any further because... I'll fall off. And he, he does it, and they erupt, and they're super excited. And he's like, well, do you want me to go back one more time? And they're like, yes, we want to see it. Who believes I can do it with a wheelbarrow? And they're like, sure, okay. So somehow he manages to go across this tightrope uh, with a wheelbarrow. And they go absolutely crazy. The crowd is jumping up and down. They're super excited. He says, do you want to see even more? And they're like, yes, what can you do even better? He's like, who wants to go see me go across this tightrope again with a wheelbarrow? And they say, yes, absolutely. And he asks the question, who wants to get in? <laughs> yeah, right? Would that be you? <laughs> who, wants to, who wants to get in? And there is silence. Who wants to observe and acknowledge you can do something from far away? And who wants to get in? and experience trust. Who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? And that is the difference between believing in someone, acknowledging that, yeah, you can totally do that, and trusting them to do it for you. And the example we see of this in our text this morning is Father Abraham, someone who didn't merely acknowledge that God could do something, but believed the promises of God for him. So let's read Galatians chapter 3. Verses 5 to 9 together, and we'll pray. The Apostle Paul says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Lord God, as we come before you this morning, and we prepare to study your word. Lord, we, we recognize, Lord, you call us to faith, but God, sometimes faith can be scary. Lord, sometimes when we step out in faith and trust you, Lord, there is no evidence of what you're going to do. Lord, when you called Abraham from his home and his family, you didn't even tell him where he was going, God. And you, yet he trusted you, Lord Jesus. God, you preached the gospel to him, and he rejoiced to see you in his day. And God, as we study the fate of Abraham this morning, Lord, we recognize, God, that if it was mere fate in himself, it would have counted for nothing. But he had faith in you, Lord God, and that meant everything. God, you are the object of his faith, and you did amazing things in him and through him, and we are part of the legacy of his faith in you, God. We, we believe because he obeyed you. Lord, I pray, God, as we read the scriptures, we recognize, Lord, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, Lord, our faith in you is increased even as we read it together. Even if we don't feel it, Lord, your scripture says it, and that settles it, God. So, Lord, would you please speak to us today, God? Would you show us, Lord, maybe areas where we're not trusting you more, Lord God? And would you remind us, God, of who you are, that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are the same God for us today. You are faithful. Would you increase in us this morning our faith in you 
and by the power of your spirit, our faithfulness to you, Lord God. You just we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, Paul's, Paul's emphasis was that we must continue in our walk with the Lord on the basis of faith. If we start thinking it's about ourselves, you know, how good we are, the good things we do, or the good things we are not doing, or perhaps the good things that others say we should do, we are mixing things up. If we are saying, I am no longer good enough to be blessed by God, to have fellowship with the Lord, to be used by him, to be in a relationship with him, to lead others to him, and it is all based on you and your performance, we are mixing things up. Remember what we learned last week, that our works are the result and the evidence of our faith, but they are not the means by which we obtain faith. They are not the means by which we obtain maturity, but our works are the evidence, the fruit of our maturity. They show something on the outside that's happened to us already on the inside. And Paul confronted this with the Galatians last week. He said, lads, you're, you're bewitched. You're acting foolish. You're acting contrary to what you know. And what they knew was this. It was Christ crucified. Paul says, you know, we publicly proclaim to you um, Christ crucified, that you would be justified by faith in him, and that would be enough. And if God supplies the Holy Spirit to you in this way, and if he works miracles in your life this way, why would you settle for anything less? If we settle, if we go back to the works of the law, if we try and do it ourselves, what's going to happen? We're going to be cursed. Under the law, you end up cursed. You break it just once, just one rule, that's it. You're under a curse, you're cursed, you're gone. But there is a better way. And that's Paul's argument, the way of faith. And the way of faith, he says, it's been that way since the very beginning. We see it in verse 6 again. You know, Paul says that just as we have experienced the Holy Spirit by faith through hearing, the exact same thing happened to a man named Abraham. It says in verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, you may know Abraham is considered the, the father of the Jewish nation, the, of the nation of Israel. He was a man who was called from God in the era of the Chaldeans, so like modern-day Iraq, Iran area, and the Lord appeared to him. He called him. He set him apart. He told him to leave his father's house, to leave his land, to leave all he knew, to go to a place that the Lord would one day show him, the land of promise. At that time, he is known as Abram. He has a wife named Sarai, and we learn about him from Genesis 12 to about 22, 23. And Abraham and his story is a great example of a life lived in faith. And what I love about his story is that Abraham, the account of this man's life is one of not of perfection. He was not a perfect man. And we see how real he is, that his faith increased over time, that he did not hit the ground running when it came to the Lord. He struggled, he made mistakes, but at the end he was known as a person of faith, the man of faith who trusted in God. Again, verse 6 says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And you might notice there when it says that, there's little quotation marks in there. And what that tells you is that this is coming from somewhere else in the scriptures, in the Old Testament. It's actually Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. So what I'd like us to do now is, on your phone or your Bible, turn at me to Genesis chapter 15. We're actually going to be a little bit in the Old Testament this morning, looking at the life of Abraham and what we can learn from him. So while you're turning there to Genesis chapter 15, 
you should know that at this point, Abraham was in a bit of a sticky uh, situation, you could say. Uh, he had beef with a few local kings in the area. Essentially, what had happened was when Abraham left um, his father's house, he took his wife with him, he took his servants with him, but he also took a man named Lot, his nephew, with him. And this would cause him a lot of trouble down the road. What eventually happens is Lot separates from Abraham and he settles in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And over the course of time while he is there, an alliance forms against these cities. And so you have these two alliances of kings on either side. And the, the kings that are against Sodom, against Gomorrah, they go out to battle and they defeat the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The kings flee and Lot and his family are captured. And what happens is one of the servants of Lot, he escapes and he finds Abraham. He's like, Abraham, your nephew Lot has been taken captive by these kings. What does Abraham do? He goes like commando mode on them. He takes all the servants of his house, 318 men in all, and he goes out to battle against these kings, completely outnumbered, and somehow, through the miracle of the Lord, he wins. He absolutely plunders these armies, and he rescues his nephew Lot. So at this stage, Abraham probably had a pretty big target on his back. Like he had humiliated these kings. He plundered them. Now, he gave all the plunder away, but he embarrassed them. And so Genesis 15 starts off saying this. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. And the Lord says this. He says, Fear not. This tells you something about the state of Abraham. Abraham was afraid. After all that had happened, he was afraid. Maybe it was you know, the fear of Lot being killed again. Maybe it was a fear that the target is now on his back and he would die. Maybe, you know, having come face to face with battle and near death, he started thinking, well, what's going to happen to me and my possessions and the inheritance that I'm giving away to my children one day? But here's the problem. Abraham had no children. He had absolutely no one. And this is what we see unfold in the story. The Lord says, fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. You're very your reward shall be very great. So he gave away all his treasure, and in doing so, he gave away the resources that would actually build him an army to defend him from attack. And so what happens is, in his fear, the Lord shows, the Lord shows up and says, I am here, Abraham. I am your shield, and you shall have a reward. What does Abraham do? He talks back to God. He has a relationship with him, so he talks to him. He says in verses 2 and 3, But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So he's like, Lord, what are you going to give me? Like, where is it going to go if you gave me all this reward? I don't have any kids. It's going to my servant. And so the Lord responds in verse 4 to 6. It says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards the heavens and number the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So in this moment... Beyond all hope, when there was absolutely no evidence of any future for him or his line, Abraham gets a word from the Lord, and something stares up in him. He realizes that God has said something to me, and that settles it, and I'm going to believe it. 
Abraham believed God. And again, it wasn't just some kind of acknowledgement. I acknowledge you can do that, Lord. I acknowledge that you're there. But it's more nice. Like, I believe you, Lord. I believe that you will do these things. I'm going to put all the weight, God, on you. And I'm going to entrust you to get it done. He hands it over to the Lord, and he lets God become concerned with the outcome. Because that's the kind of faith that the Scriptures calls us to when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. From our, our justification, you know, through, through our, our salvation, you know, to the works of God in our life, that we would just simply say, Lord, you have said these things in your word. That settles the matter. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to trust you. You know, when it comes to salvation, we all do this, right? We say, Lord, your word says, if I believe in Jesus, I will be saved. You know, if you confess through your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And we have to say, Lord, your word says that, I settles it, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to trust my salvation with you. It's the same thing with provision, right? The scriptures teach that God is a, is, he is a provider, that he will meet our needs, that we are of more value than the sparrows, that our Father knows what we need for our day-to-day living. And so if God says it, our response should be, Lord, you said it, that settles it, I trust you. There is a lot we can learn from faith like Abraham. But there is even more that we can learn from the God who Abraham places faith in. Because what God shows us is that he is the one who will get it done. I want us to continue for a little bit in Genesis 15 and look at the rest of what happens. Because I want you to know if God makes a promise, well, what he says he's going to do, it's going to come to pass. Even if we fail, even if we mess up, no matter how many times we stumble uphill in our walk with the Lord, he will get the work done. And we see that in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, um, the conversation between the Lord and Abraham continues. And it says from verse 7 to 12, he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And the Lord says to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them all these and cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down and on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. What we have here is the start of a covenant. So basically... It's like a contract that was going to happen between Abraham and, and the Lord. They would get these animals, cut them in half, separate them, and the idea is that you and the other party would walk through these animals, and it was like signing a contract. It would be a symbol of their faithfulness to each other. And so Abraham, he does this, and he's waiting for the Lord to show up. He's there chasing away the, the carrion birds and trying to preserve these animals, and towards the end of the day, as it's getting dark, he falls asleep. And the Lord appears to him when he's asleep. But let's read what happens in verse 17. It says, When the sun had gone down, and Abraham was asleep, and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. 
On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I will give you this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, and so on and so forth. There's uh, too many names. So do you notice something about the covenant signing here? Both members were meant to pass through it, again, as a sign of their faithfulness to each other. And the idea is that if one side broke this contract, they would end up like these animals. But Abraham didn't walk through this line, and yet the contract was signed. So who passed through it? What we see here, it was the Lord. And so if the Lord is the only one to pass through this covenantal line, that's him saying, I am going to do this. I am going to give you this land, Abraham. In you will all your offspring shall the nations be blessed, and it's nothing to do with you. It's everything to do with me. So the Lord is saying to us all that it is on him. It is on him in this moment. So not only did Abraham believe God, place the weight on the Lord to let it be done, God shows us himself that it is all on him. And friends, it is the exact same thing for us today. It is the exact same thing. There is no difference. We have a God who calls us to simply trust in him, to believe him, and to believe what he says. And again, bringing us back to what Paul says in Galatians 3, 5, if we want to see the Spirit work in our lives, if we want to grow in Christ, if we want to glorify Jesus, if we want to be overcomers, if we want to slay our sin, if we want to go deeper with the Lord, if we want to grow in this relationship, if we want to win people to the kingdom, whether it's your family, your friends, your coworkers, your enemies, if we want to be of use to him, we must believe him. We must believe what he has said, believe his calling, believe his giftings, believe what he says in his word, and we go forward from that place of faith, trusting that as we press on, he will do the outcome. On Friday night, um, Saturday night rather, I got to go to, no, Friday night, yeah, Friday night I got to go to Lidl. It was like half nine at night. I was just getting some shopping, and there was a person just sitting outside there, um, a homeless person. And I said, hey, look, I don't have any cash, but can I buy you some food? So I went in and gave them a, a sandwich and some water and tried to meet their needs. But I was going back to the car, it's like, you know, this person needs more than food. This person needs the Lord. And so I'm like shuffling in my car, God, give me a tract, give me a gospel or something. And I had a gospel of John, thankfully, I had one of our little Bible tracts. And I gave it to the person, I said, look, can I give you this, please? Um, this book about Jesus changed my life. It can change yours, too. And if you have any questions, our address is here. Come up Sunday morning. Now, I don't know what that person did with that book. She could have thrown it in the bin. Maybe she read it. Maybe she's not here today. Maybe she'll be here one day. Maybe she's in a different church. I don't know the outcome, but I'm called to be faithful and trust the Lord with the outcome, right? And that's the same for all of us. We must believe like Abraham, putting the weight on him. And Paul says those who believe are the children of Abraham. He says in Galatians 3, 7, Know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now, we probably all know that song. When I used to do kids' church, we used to sing it. You know, Father Abraham and many sons. Someone's trying to sing it. I love that. It's great. And it's a cute song, but it's true, right? But here's the thing. We sing that so often. We, we can miss the, the shock this would have been, the scandal for the Jews in the first century. See, they believed that because they came from Abraham and because they were Jews, that they were saved. 
They held their lineage to Abraham in such high regard, there was teachings amongst rabbis in the first century where they taught that Abraham was standing at the gate of Hades, inspecting those going in in case a Jew almost slipped in and he would grab them and bring them to be with the Lord. Like they trusted in their heritage. They trusted in the fate of their fathers. Isn't that what we see in the Gospel of John um, when the Pharisees come out to John the Baptist? He's like, don't trust in the fact that you're sons of Abraham. God can make sons of Abraham out of these stones. It is not enough. It was never enough for a Jew to trust in the fact that they were Jews in order to be saved. They must believe it. And if they call themselves sons of Abraham, they must walk like Abraham. They must believe like Abraham. They must follow his example. They must have their own faith in the Lord and not their father's faith in him. Like what a lesson that is for us as well. Especially those of us with children. Maybe those of us with Christian parents. Especially those living in Ireland. Like if you asked me before I became a Christian, was I going to heaven? I would say like, you know, I'm Irish. Of course I'm going to heaven. You know, I, I'm Irish, I have a Catholic background, therefore I am saved. Like, it was nothing to do with my trust in the Lord, it was a trust in who I am, my pedigree, my heritage, and what my parents handed down to me, not what I had for myself. And how many people do you know who maybe think the same way? Do you perhaps fall into that same trap sometimes? And when it comes to the idea, idea of a family, our children are not saved by our fate, and you are not saved by the fate of your parents. It is not enough for me to rely on the fate of others when it comes to the Lord. I must have a fate in him myself. Like, obviously I'm a parent and I'm raising my children, and though we, I'm, I'm trying to pass on the fate to them, that fate needs to become their, their own. Like, I make it very clear to my girls, you aren't Christians because mommy and daddy are Christians. We want to raise you in a Christian home. We want to teach you godly values. We want to teach you the word of God. But you need to believe in Jesus yourself. And obviously I pray one day they truly do believe in him. Just as we needed to believe in him. Just as the Jews needed to believe in him. It is never enough to claim your heritage or the fate of your fathers. And while that was a shock for the Jews, think of what a blessing that must have been for the Gentiles. Because then that was the source of the division in Galatia, right? The Judaizers were coming and saying, you're Gentiles, you don't follow the law, you're not Jews, therefore you're not really a Christian. What a blessing to know it has nothing to do with your heritage, where you've come from, it has everything to do with the Lord. Through faith we are sons of Abraham. Through faith we are brought into the household of God. And that is good news, but maybe it's not good for news for some of us. It can be really easy to fall into the trap of, I've shown up on a Sunday morning, I've done these things, I've checked these little X's off of my to-do list. It's not enough. God wants us to walk with him, to walk like Abraham of faith. And when we do that, we become sons and daughters of Abraham when we pursue a life of faith with the Lord. And so Paul would continue in Galatians 3, verse 8. He said, And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. One of the things that's interesting about Abraham is that even though the Jews claimed him as their forefather, Abraham was a Gentile. Like, he wasn't actually a Jew. He was 
in fact, at this point in Galatians, where Paul's quoting from Genesis, when he is justified for his fate, he wasn't even circumcised. There was absolutely nothing he had done at that stage to be, to be you know, accepted by God on his works. He was justified by faith. And Paul makes a really big deal of that in the book of Romans, that there is absolutely nothing that Abraham could have done to earn his way to the Lord. He believed, and it was counted as righteousness. And once again, it simply points back to the fact that God has made it very crystal clear that he is the one who saves. From the very beginning of Scripture to the end, it is all on Jesus. Think back to the Garden of, of Eden in Genesis. You know, we have Adam and Eve you know, in perfect creation. You know, the animals don't bite. Um, they're all vegetarians. They're all vegan. Um, they're walking with God in the cool of the day, and it sounds like paradise, right? What happens? Sin comes in. They eat the fruit. And what's the first thing it says? They notice that they're naked and they are ashamed. And what do they do? They try and sow these fig leaves to you know, cover, cover themselves up. But even then, they're, they're ashamed and they hide from the Lord when the Lord calls out to them. And so God curses them. He curses humanity and the devil. But what happens right after that curse? The Lord, he takes an animal, he kills them, and he clothes Adam and Eve. They tried to clothe themselves and take away their shame, and they couldn't. God sheds blood, and he clothes them instead. It's the way it has always been. From the very beginning, God would clothe us. He would take away our shame. He would give us honor and protection. He did it there with animals. One day he would do it with his son. But it's always the same. He covers. He justifies and he wants this message to go out to all. Paul says he, did this, he would do this for the Gentiles. He says again in verse 8, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. And so the gospel was preached to Abraham. He was told that through him, in him, all the nations would be blessed. And again, if you look at there in verse 8, there's quotation marks. So once again, it's something from the Old Testament. This time, it's Genesis chapter 12, where we see the calling of Abraham in our lives, in his life, where God sets him apart. So I want to read it to you there. It'll be on the screen as well, Genesis chapter 12. It reads, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great Nation, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So in this calling was the promise of blessing. We know at this stage Abraham and Sarai, Sarah, they were old. They had no children. She was barren. And yet, here God makes a promise. Come and follow me, and I will make your name great. I will make you a nation. I will make you a blessing, not those, just to those around you, but to all who would come, because Abraham, there is something in you that will bless the nations. And what is that blessing he's speaking of? He's speaking of the seed. He's speaking of the promise. He's speaking of the Messiah. He's speaking of the one who would come, born of a woman, coming to this earth, living a perfect life. The one who would die, whose blood like that animal in Eden would be shed for sins to cover us in his grace. You know, the Messiah who would take our sin, take our shame, who would take our guilt and would clothe us instead in his righteousness and his purity by his grace. 
you know, so that we would stand before the Father and he wouldn't see a sinful wretch, but he would see the Messiah. The Lord here is speaking of Jesus who was to come. And Abraham believed this promise. And so when the Lord looked at Abraham, he could see Christ coming through him. He would know that Christ would come and justify Abraham by his faith and not by his works. And again, I love this because, again, Abraham's life, as he said, wasn't one of perfect obedience. He would, he would get things wrong a lot. You know, along with taking Lot with him, he goes down to Egypt. And he's like, babe, you're really beautiful. They're going to kill me when they see you. So you just pretend to be my sister in Egypt. Not, nothing weird there, right? Um, he gets really impatient later on with God and his promise. And he goes and he takes his wife's servant, gets her pregnant, and has Ishmael. That causes trouble. Later on, he goes to Abimelech in the sister act part two, and he does the whole sister thing all over again. Abraham was a man who, who stumbled a lot on his journey, right? And yet the account of his life is one of fate. He is called the man of fate, the man who was blessed. Well, that's a blessed man. Paul speaks of the blessed man in Romans chapter four. He says this, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And if we are to be a people who are blessed, if we want to be blessed like Abraham, then we must believe like Abraham, believe the promise, and believe who God is. And so for the short remainder of our time, we're just about finished, I want us to look at the words of Paul here about the fate of Abraham in Romans chapter 4. Paul, obviously Romans is like the last one, of the later epistles he wrote, Galatians is one of the first. And so his, his language about the sacrifice of Jesus and his language of, the, of Abraham is like fully formed by the time we get here. But he says in, he says in Romans chapter 4, from verse 13, he says, for the promise to Abraham and of offspring be that the heir of the world did not come through law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Like we learned last week, if we could be perfected by works of the law, Christ died for nothing. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be, and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the fate of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. What a description of our Lord here and the God that Abraham believed. He believed God could give life to the dead. No doubt, maybe he's, Paul's thinking of the sacrifice of Isaac, where the Lord tested Abraham and told him to sacrifice his only son. Abraham believed the promise of God so much he said, Lord, if my son has to die, you're going to have to raise him back up because I believe your promise. He believed God was the one who called things into existence that did not yet exist. When there was no proof, when there was no evidence, when there was no sign of the promise, he believed and he walked by faith. 
That is the God we serve. That is the God who exists. The one who can bring into existence things that do not exist. And I, I was thinking over that, that, that phrase and who our God is this week, thinking of that. And I wonder, maybe if we believed God is that God a little bit more, would it shape how we walk? Would it shape our fate a little differently? That he is the God who can bring provision when there is none. That he is the God who, who can heal when there is no hope. That he is the God who can save souls, who can overcome our sin. He is the one who can use you, who can gift you, who can set you apart. And if, even if you see no evidence of that today, but you see the promise in Scripture, if we walk in his promises, if we walk by faith, he will bring it about. It says, in hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should be the father of many nations. People would have said, Abraham, you're crazy. You're a pensioner. Your wife is barren. There's no hope of you having a child. You're out of your mind. And yet, he believed against hope. It says in verse 19, he did not weaken in fate when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. I love this. You know, as he gave glory to God, as he continued a life of worship and belief, it says his, his faith grew strong. His faith in God and who he was was strengthened, and it says he simply believed that God was able to do what he promised. I want to ask, has God promised you something, either in his word or through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that maybe you're not believing in anymore? It can be many things. But no matter the promise, whether it's in these words preserved for us for thousands of years, or whether it's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we must look to the example of Abraham and his faith. He believed God was able to do what he promised. And that's why Paul continues saying, this is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, in verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who, delivered up, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So Abraham believed and he was justified by faith. And we can know the exact same thing, that we can be justified by faith. That when we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he was offered up for our transgressions, raised for our justification, we can be saved. And we can continue to walk on in that faith. We can press on because God will do what he has said he will do. And if we continue in that way, like our father Abraham, we will be blessed. It says in Galatians 3.9, those who have faith, are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham was blessed first and foremost because his sin was not counted against him. And the first step, if we want to be blessed known as people who are blessed by God, we must be forgiven of our sin. And we have that in Christ. And look, if that was all that God did for us, if that was all the blessing he brought, that would be enough. And we could simply say, praise the Lord. He has done great things. But it doesn't stop there. It goes beyond that. The blessed man isn't just one whose past is forgiven or whose future is secure. 
A blessed man is someone who bears fruit today. Psalm 1 tree speaks of the blessed man saying he is like a, a tree f- planted by streams of water who bears his fruit in all season that does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. And that can be us because we have something Abraham did not have. We have the Holy Spirit. And we can't not emphasize that enough. We have the Spirit of God. And because we have him, we can bear fruit. We, we can become Christ-like. We can sow to the things of the Spirit and reap eternal life. And that is available today if we approach him by faith now and settle for nothing less. Amen? Amen. So we're going to go to a time of worship. And maybe I would encourage you just for this time, as we're going to sing, we're going to praise the Lord. And as we praise the Lord and are reminded of the scriptures, our faith in God will grow. Our faith will be strengthened, just like Abraham. But I want to ask you again, is there a promise God has given you? Maybe... Maybe you're not sure of the promise of eternal life. Maybe it's something he's calling you to that hasn't happened yet. Would you bring that before him today and ask him to strengthen your faith and to walk by faith? Maybe it's a loved one. You know, someone you want to see in your home, in your city, in this city, coming to know Jesus. Maybe you want them in those empty seats next to us. Maybe you bring them before the Lord this morning by faith. And ask God to do what he will do. Because he is the one who does it. Not us. It is all on him. So let's just let's, let's um, prepare our hearts now to go into a time of worship. Lord God, we thank you that it is all about you and what you have done. That you are the great I am. You are the self-existing one. Father, you are the one who will do what he says he will do. God, Abraham believed that you would keep your promises, Lord. And God, we, 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 keep, we, we believe too, Father. But Lord, we recognize, God, that when we don't see the evidence, Lord, it can, and we hear the mocking of the enemy and the mocking and the condemnation of our flesh, God, we sometimes doubt you, Lord. And so, Lord, you say like that man in the gospel, Lord, we believe, but please help our unbelief. And the Holy Spirit, that comes from you. God, as we enter into the time of worship, would you strengthen our faith in you, Jesus, that our, our life with you is secure, that our hope with you, God, like our brother John, is secure. And that if we follow you by faith, God, we will bear fruit. We will be your disciples. Our light will shine and people will give you glory, God. God, we pray, Lord, um, for our loved ones who don't know you, that they would become blessed like us, people whose sins are forgiven, who the Lord does not count our sin against us. We say praise you, Jesus, for that. Thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven us. God, if anyone is in here this morning that do not know you, Jesus, may this be, be the day, Lord, that they respond in faith and just lay it all on you, God. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you call us to faith and not to works, to know you. Would you reveal yourself to us, Holy Spirit? Would you minister to our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.